Hello, and welcome to Pharmacy Magazine's In Conversation With podcast. My name is Richard Thomas, and in this episode, I talk to the Chief Executive of the Proprietary Association of Great Britain, Michelle Riddles. The PAGB is the voice of the UK consumer healthcare industry, and Michelle joined the trade body in 2019 from Pfizer Consumer Healthcare, where she was Director of Regulatory Affairs for the Northern European region. She became Chief Executive in April 2020, right at the start of the pandemic, taking over from John Smith. Covid has had a significant impact on the OTC medicines market, certainly during the early stages of the pandemic, and we talk about this in the interview. We also discuss where the recent Pontypiece switches have breathed new life into product reclassifications, and why PAGB member companies don't necessarily see the fast-tracking of products to GSL status as inevitable or even desirable. Importantly, pharmacists shouldn't regard GSL status as a negative either. We also pick through the bones of the PAGB's self-care blueprint for England, a joint strategy launched in October last year and endorsed by various pharmacy and health representative bodies. What does she hope it will achieve? But we started by looking forward to the year ahead and discussing the market trends that should be on the radar of all pharmacy teams in 2022. In particular, the growth of medical devices and food supplements. Let's hear what Michelle has to say. Well, hopefully it's going to be um, an exciting year um, as we move forward. Obviously, um, we've had COVID um, hit us again towards the end of the year um, last year. And, you know, that has obviously put a lot of um, pressure on pharmacies and the whole health system. Um, But also there has been the cold and flu season that has um, materialised this year, which was different to um, the original 2020 lockdown. So I think in those terms, um, the kind of OTC side of things, there is um, a little bit more um, movement in the market. Um, and we obviously did see, and I'm sure um, your your readers and listeners are aware of it, you know, a big uptake in some of the kind of health and wellness area around vitamins. Um, and in 2020, we did see, you know, a really big rise in OTC vitamins and mineral supplements of about 14%. So um, we do know that that was an area that thrived when um, people were concerned about their health and especially around immunity and looking to ensure that they were in the best position possible um, as they went forward. So we're obviously um, hoping that um, you know, COVID is going to get maintained again through the vaccines and, and all the hard work that everybody's doing. Um, and then life can hopefully kind of get back a little bit more systematically to normal with the usual ebbs and flows of seasons to do with hay fever and then, you know, the normal cold and flu seasons and what you would normally see over the coming year. Yes, the, the OTC market did take a, a bit of a hit, didn't it, in in 2020, the early part of the pandemic. Um, has it kind of recovered? Is it back in growth now? I'm not entirely sure. We haven't seen, well, I haven't personally seen um, figures um for this year compared to last year. But what I do know from talking to my members 
is that there has been the cold and flu season, which was what was missing in the previous year. So um, I think, you know, that has um, kind of bounced back a little um, compared to 2020. Whether it's gone back to the level of 2019, I don't know. Um, but obviously that is kind of looking more positive in terms of, you know, coming into a pharmacy and sales and things like that. Yeah, that's encouraging. And as you say, significant growth in, in wellness and supplements. Um, yeah. So no doubt that will will probably continue. So something for pharmacists to be aware of there. Now, in October, um, PAGB and a number of other stakeholders in pharmacy and health released a blueprint for a, a self-care strategy in England. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, well, I mean, self-care has always been really important to the PAGB and it's very much been a cornerstone of everything we do because we want to create an environment in which people have the tools to self-care. And as a result of some work via a clinical consensus, um, we um, jointly developed um, with eight other organisations this shared blueprint for the national strategy and that included organizations such as the national pharmacy association the royal pharmaceutical society the association of independent multiple pharmacists and the cca and alike and what that was doing is um, trying to bring together some key themes and um, areas within the self-care arena and actually put that out to um, key stakeholders to emphasise why um, self-care and the strategy um, was important. And so um, this team had developed the strategy and then, as you said, it was launched in October um, of 2021. And um, what did it hope to achieve? What were its aims or what are its aims and objectives? Well, there's quite a few in there. I mean, the key piece being that in 10 years' time, there were four key things, um, kind of strategies that um, the the strategy wanted to see achieved. One, that um, individuals should understand and be willing to practice self-care. Two, that there should be a cultural shift among healthcare professionals towards well-being and away from a kind of biomedical um, model of care that the system is designed to support self-care and that's where pharmacy more integrated into the primary care pathway and that digital technology is then used to its full potential. So using those four strands, the strategy wanted to really come up with some ways um, that it could that things could be utilised to ensure that those um, key strategies um, could be working within a 10-year time period. Um, So that was really kind of the key call out. I guess within that, um, the the plan was that this new system would be created, which then integrates um, the promotion of the everyday well-being and self-care for self-treatable conditions and the management of long-term conditions into the wider healthcare system. And I think what we've seen over... um, you know, a number of years now is that some of the kind of long term conditions for things such as diabetes and high blood pressure have got quite well integrated into kind of a self care establishment 
Um, but what isn't being um, fully integrated at the moment is some of the well-being things that we just mentioned earlier, but also the self-care for those self-treatable conditions, which um, you know, pharmacists can really help and support. So the kind of things where they would people would go into the pharmacy for advice or to get a medicine or to be referred. And I think some of the kind of key areas within that include kind of making the best use and expanding the community pharmacy pharmacy service. Um, also enabling community pharmacists to refer people directly to other healthcare professionals. So it isn't just about, you know, oh, this is a product for you. It could be referring someone to a physio or an optician or to a dentist so that they feel when they go to see a pharmacist, they can talk to them as their first point of call and then be directed to an appropriate area. Um, Obviously, some of it also includes improved access to um, treatments, and that's where, you know, some of the reclassification side comes into it. But also, I think what we felt was important to help facilitate, um, you know, the integration and support self-care is that community pharmacists were able to actually populate medical records um, as well as see them. So if there was medicines or advice specifically given or referrals given that they could populate medical records. So there's quite a lot in there um, that is being asked for. Um, but we think, you know, that that could be really um, positive going forward. Yeah, so that's what you mean, is it, when you 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 say pharmacy should be more integrated into, the, into a primary care pathway? Um, it means things like um, onward referral to, to other healthcare professionals and, and access to the patient records. So in practical terms, those are things that you're calling for. Yes, yeah, definitely. So the recommendations include the right to update the medical records, like, a, like we just mentioned, referrals um, to other healthcare professionals. And also, um, obviously, the community pharmacist consultation service is already happening, but continuing to use that and potentially expand it. Yeah, self-care as a concept has long been promoted by pharmacy and the industry, and, and clearly it makes sense to an overstretched NHS, but it, it's far from entrenched in the population, isn't it? What, why do you think that is? I think it's really difficult. I think, you know, we are used to and, and have kind of grown up in a world of, of the NHS being there for us. So we are used to at the first point of call of going to see our GP. And I think, you know, there are definitely advantages as, of that, as we all know. But then I think we've all kind of got ingrained into some of those behaviours because it's what we grew up and what we were used to. And so I think, you know, getting a behavioural change in a whole population is very hard. And I think, you know, some of the self-care strategy is looking at things um, such as education um, at an early age for people to be able to work out what they um, uh, what they are going to be doing um, and, and identifying that something could be self-cared. And um, if you look at the self-care um, strategy blueprint there's an example of Dr Me in there where um, a, a doctor is going in and actually talking um, to some children at a very young age and getting them to identify oh if you have a sore throat what could you do just really simple changes that can start changing a lot but I think 
COVID in itself has also led to some of that changing, um, which, you know, there aren't many positives coming out of COVID, but um, the self-care message is coming through loud and strong, um, as we're seeing and, and seen late last year, where we've had, um, you know, the stay at home, self-care, take um, OTC medicines um, when you get um, COVID. And obviously, that's a very strong and different message to one that has been out there previously. Um, and PAGB did some um surveys in 2020 where we were looking at what people if there were changes in behavior as a result of covid and it back in 2020 51 percent of people said that who would have sought a gp appointment at the first option um, for self-treatable condition are now saying they wouldn't do so in the future which obviously does potentially show a shift in the attitudes but when we surveyed again this year, that figure had dropped to 39%. So again, that's why we think the time is now and it's really important to have this blueprint because we really want to try and ingrain some of those changes um, that we were seeing as a result of COVID around self-care into the population. Yes, I mean, you highlighted education as being important, incredibly important, isn't it? And yeah, they, they were definitely signs during COVID of, of people's behaviours changing and, and visiting pharmacies more for health advice, as your your survey highlighted. So slightly concerning that um, um, an earlier willingness to self-care is perhaps uh, reversing and going back to, to seeing the GP or other access points. So, yes, the, uh, the blueprint is very timely uh, in that regards. Let's talk about pom to peas. Um, I think they're having something of a comeback, aren't they? In recent years, we've had Maloff Protect, uh, we've had uh, Viagra Connect, and you um, work very closely with that brand, of course, in your, your previous role at Pfizer. We've had the the pill reclassifications um, last year. What's the future then for the pea category? Well, I think it's a really exciting future, and I think it has been really good to see new categories opening up in the pharmacy um, level as a result of the reclassification. I mean, I think, you know, malaria, erectile dysfunction and women's health, uh, you know, who I, I guess if you looked five years ago, who would have thought that you would necessarily have um, these whole new categories that are being developed, you know, for a pharmacy and enabling um, kind of wider access to people. So I think, like you said, there has been a bit of a resurgence and I think it's really exciting to see. And I think, you know, some companies are now realising that there are opportunities out there for some of the kind of prescription drugs that they may have thought, oh, well, that would never get approved. And I think as you get more and more innovative ones come out there, I do think that companies can start seeing oh, well, is there an opportunity down the line? And I think, you know, initially people may have thought, oh, it has to be exactly the same and for exactly the same um, indication and and um, kind of profile as it is at prescription um, level. And that isn't always the case. You know, you can limit and put some parameters around one of the, you know, some of the um, ingredients to make sure that, they can be sold as a pharmacy medicine, but it's not necessarily 
treating in the same way as you would have done if it was a prescription and as a wider range of people you know you might have restrictions due to hepatic or renal issues in a um, pharmacy medicine whereas when it's under the supervision of a doctor and they're doing you know checks on it that it may be be able to use so I think it's really useful to see that the way that a product can evolve and be out there for a slightly different population to what it's being used for in the farm, sorry, in the prescription side. Um, and then that gives companies ideas of, oh, well, okay, how could we, we do that? So I'm hoping that we're going to see, you know, some other innovation coming along um, in the near future. And certainly some of our member companies are, you know, talking of that um, and, you know, reclassification is a big area that our companies are focusing on. That's really uh, encouraging and and optimistic. Um, Some pharmacists, um, perhaps mistakenly, perhaps not, would say that companies are only interested in in, in moving to GSL as quickly as they can. And of course, um, we are beginning to see direct to GSL switches at the moment. Um, Is that common is that a common view amongst your members or maybe not from what you're you've just said? no I think you know the traditional pathway has always been kind of you go to prescription you then go to pharmacy and then potentially you can go to GSL I think depending on you know some of these innovative um innovative um pharmacy medicines I honestly don't know whether they would ever go to GSL. I think there may be risks so inherent in them that you may not ever get those going to GSL. But the ones that I do see going to GSL are the ones where these are for conditions that are already out there and are being self-managed on a, you know, on a very um, normal basis. So things like indigestion and, you know, the first one that went, from POM to GSL was another one that I was involved in, which was Nexium Control. And, you know, when you look at it, 95% of the indigestion market is in the GSL category. So having a product that is a pharmacy product when actually most people are going out to a supermarket to buy it doesn't make sense in terms of what it means and if the safety profile is okay then you've got to really be in the area that people are going to buy it so I think there is you know in in some circumstances you could look at that but I don't think the innovative ones the ones that are building brand new categories and actually the ones which can drive footfall into a pharmacy of people that didn't used to go i.e Viagra you know men notoriously weren't going into pharmacies and you know part of the positives around um, people being able to get Viagra in a pharmacy is that it was increasing men's footfall into pharmacy and getting them into the healthcare system to try and prevent um, you know future episodes so I think it's it's not always that things will move to GSL but I think at a time it is there are appropriate things to move to GSL. And we've just seen Neuromol, you know, I think it was a P product for a number of years and that got approved um, fairly recently as switching now down to the GSL area. And of course that's in pain relief. And you know, people are very used to self-medicating in the pain relief area. And what I've always said as well is just because a product's GSL, obviously pharmacists do sell 
TSL on their own shelves as well. But, you know, we've always had to write in leaflets if you've got any queries, talk to your pharmacist or your doctor. So people, even if a product is GSL, may still step into a pharmacy if they have any concerns or want to find out um, more about the products. My thanks to Michelle Riddles from the PAGB. All the In Conversation with podcasts can be found at the Pharmacy Magazine website, pharmacymagazine.co.uk. And the Talking Pharmacy podcast will be back as usual next week. So until then, thanks very much for listening.